0: You know, the other day in my devotions, uh, went into the book of Galatians. I just want to read this verse. It just really encouraged my heart. It brings perspective. It brings hope. It's a reminder to us. And I touched on it a bit in prayer that, you know, Jesus didn't come to set up a kingdom here on earth, uh, but a heavenly kingdom. And without him, uh, we have no hope in that. And in him, we have just the most glorious future and hope. And it's just there at the beginning of Galatians. It's actually in the opening, you know, greetings and so forth. And hopefully I can read this. I'm getting old. I'm always saying to my wife, let me borrow your glasses. It's time for me to get my own. But it says here, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Galatians 2 and 3. Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present age, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Just what a glorious word he gave himself to forgive us of our sin And to deliver us from this present age And we need to remember that listen this present age it's marred by sin Uh, You know what it is it is a it is a flawed place Men do not have the capability to solve issues That's why it's almost like whack-a-mole you solve this problem and guess what two more pop up over here And that's in part you know what? To cause us, and God allows that for us to grope after God. To understand, listen, with Jesus, there's no whack-a-mole. He has it all in control. Let's rejoice for our time here. We're called to be a thankful people, a grateful people. We're called to remember that our God is on the throne, no matter, listen, who is on the earthly throne. And we're called to remember as well that, again, uh, the Lord's going to go before us in this life, but this life is short. And through the shed blood of the Lord and through faith in Him. Listen, we have deliverance from this present evil age. And boy, it just seems like this present age is getting more and more evil and more and more dark. We'll touch on it a bit in our uh, passage here tonight in Daniel chapter 8. So listen, that word encouraged me. I hope it encouraged you. It's just a good reminder to us. And uh, listen, praise God in Jesus. And are you in Jesus tonight? Can you say amen to that? We have a great future and hope. And uh, a lot just uh, to rejoice in this evening, man. You know, Jesus said, what's a profit a man if he gains the whole world, but he loses his soul? And uh, far better to lose the whole world and gain your salvation and your soul through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So here we are in Daniel chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there if you guys haven't yet in your notes. A few weeks back, in fact it was three weeks ago, we looked at Daniel chapter 7. And we entered into the part of Daniel where Daniel is getting visions instead of interpreting dreams. And many of these visions are parallel visions with, you know, Nebuchadnezzar's earlier and so forth. And it's really an overview of mankind from the days of Daniel till the end of the age where we are today. And in that last vision in Daniel chapter 7, remember Daniel had a disturbing dream where he saw four beasts. The first a lion, then a bear, then a leopard... And then a beast really kind of composing all of them that was just greater than the rest. And out of that beast came ten horns. And then out of those ten horns came one horn that overthrew three that was the Antichrist. And really it was a vision that lined up, a dream that lined up with Nebuchadnezzar's earlier dream in Daniel 2 of the statue that represented first of all the Babylonian Empire, then the Medo-Persian Empire, the Grecian Empire that would throw over them, and then the Roman Empire that overthrew Greece. It's really, you know, at around to this day. And then we know the ten horns come out of the Roman Empire. A lot of speculation on what that may be. We'll probably touch on some speculation again tonight. But we know eventually this little horn that's going to rise up, the Antichrist. And uh, we talked a lot about him last week. We'll talk about him more again tonight because this... Uh, evening in Daniel chapter 8 we see more of a focus in on the bear and the leopard uh, and Alexander the Great who would come up out of Greece but then after him we know that that empire would be divided into uh, you know a kind of four separate empires that were still one and we're going to talk about a man named Antiochus Epiphanes who is a type of Antichrist In fact, he would also bring an abomination that would bring desolation to the Jews. And as we see this tonight, we're going to see Daniel prophesying through a dream given to him, a vision given to him, many years. In fact, uh, hundreds of years before this would actually happen. And yet it actually happened exactly as it was prophesied it would happen. In fact, it's caused many people to step back and say, okay, this book must be a forgery because there's no way someone would know that before it happened. But there is a way. God, God knew. God told Daniel. And again, this is also a foreshadow of what will happen again. And again, we'll talk more about this. And we've talked about it throughout the summer and here into the fall. And now the winter out here on Wednesday night, how prophecy and scripture, oftentimes it's reoccurring until there is a final fulfillment of prophecy. And that's what we're going to see tonight. We'll talk about that tonight. So let's just jump into this, take a few verses at a time, and uh, hopefully we'll get through the whole chapter. If we don't, we'll just come back to it next week, uh, the Lord willing. And you know what? Just do what we can do tonight. So notice here Daniel 1, it says, In the third year of the reign of King Belshazzar, a vision appeared to me, to me Daniel, after the one that appeared to me the first time. And we just talked about that first vision. And so now God's giving. Daniel, another vision, and just real quickly, let's remember that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church, explanation was given to us through Peter who quoted the book of Joel and he talked about visions and dreams as well. In fact, in Acts 2:17, he said it shall come to pass in the last days says God that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, your sons and daughters shall prophesy, your young men shall see visions, And your old men shall dream dreams. And this was on Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit was poured out. There was prophetic words given. Three thousand were added to the church. Tongues were spoken. And in that application. It was in the languages of the people that were there for Pentecost. And yet this word was given about the last days. And listen we're still in the last days. And as we talk about these things happening in the last days. Those signs that Jesus talked about there in Matthew 24 that we see unfolding. And even in this chapter, leading to the soon coming of the Antichrist, let's remember that in these days, God's wanting to pour out His Holy Spirit upon His people. Listen, this is a time when we need to be a charismatic people. We need to be a people that are daily, and we talked about it Sunday, that are being filled afresh with the Spirit of God. And if God wants to give dreams and visions, praise God. He'll give those, and those will be biblically based. They'll line up with the Word of God. But also, we need to be praying that we can be a prophetic people. And so we've talked about this throughout our study in Acts on Sunday morning, how God wants us to be praying for the gift of prophecy, to proclaim God's Word with power. So here he is, the third year of Belshazzar in Babylon, who is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, and again, ruled for a short time, and then he was overthrown in a night. And this dream wouldn't be about Babylon. It wouldn't be about Nebuchadnezzar. It wouldn't be about Belshazzar, because they were about to be put down. Again, the lion was about to be taken down by the bear. The head of gold was about to be taken down by the arms and the breastplate of silver. And again, we talked about this in great detail. In fact, if you haven't been with this, or maybe you have, and you missed the one night, I got big, giant, uh, well, you know, they're, I don't know how giant they are, but, you know, they're bigger than this, uh, uh, graphs in there. You can get one right there in the patio that lays out the book of Daniel, lays out these visions. And on the other side, it shows how they compare with the book of Revelation. So we're moving past that. And now, again, into the next part of Daniel's dream and Nebuchadnezzar's dream. Notice verse 2, it says, I saw in the vision, and so it happened while I was looking, that I was in Shushan, the citadel, which is in the province, province of Elam. I saw in the vision that I was by the river Uliah. Now listen, Daniel was in Babylon, the kingdom, or in the, in the capital of, of Babylon, which was called Babylon as well. He has this vision, and as he has this vision, the Lord in that vision moves him, in spirit, to Shushan. This is 200 miles away from Babylon. And Shushan really didn't have much meaning to the Babylonians, but Shushan would become, it would become the capital of the Medo-Persians, this next empire that was about to overthrow the Babylonians. So the Lord took him to this place to show him this vision because it pointed to what was about to happen next. And it's interesting, you know, it really, Daniel was transported uh in a vision or in spirit from one place to the other and it's interesting how this isn't the first time that this happened and it wouldn't be the last time that it would happen in scripture and i won't read the passages but i got them there in your notes just in case you want to look at this later and there's many other places as well but in ezekiel 40 we read about god in spirit moving Ezekiel from one place to another into the land of Israel to a very high mountain to give him a vision. And then Isaiah chapter 6, we see the Lord moving Isaiah really into the heavenlies to give him a vision of the throne of God. And then in Revelation 17, we see John being moved in the spirit and given a vision of a woman riding a beast in the wilderness, which is a picture of the last day's a, 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 you know, a, a apostate religious movement that will partner with the Antichrist, and then eventually the Antichrist will devour that false movement. And then it's interesting because he's moved in vision, and I, I want to touch on something here, I'm not just, you know, rabbit trailing. The Lord also at times in Scripture does this literally. Again, Daniel is having a vision, and in that vision, God's moving him to see in the Spirit in a place that's 200 miles away. We see that with Ezekiel, Isaiah, John, and some other places as well in Scripture. But there's other times when God literally does this. We read in Genesis 5, 24, Enoch walked with God, and he was not. God took him. God literally took him from one place to another, took him from earth to heaven. Same in 2 Kings 2:11. it says Elijah went up in a chariot and in a whirlwind from earth to heaven. And then we read in Acts 8, and there's other places that this happens as well, that Philip was ministering to an Ethiopian eunuch on a desert road, and after the guy got saved, the Lord just picked him up from one place, just plucked him up and put him in another to do ministry there. It's interesting as well, in 2 Corinthians 12, Paul talks about a man. He was talking about himself, and he said 14 years ago, and he says, weather and body, I don't know. Or whether out of the body, I don't know. God knows such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So Paul said when it happened to him, I don't know if it was in spirit or if I don't know it was literally there. But the point I want to make with this, especially as we're talking about end times thing here in the book of Daniel, that listen, the day is literally coming when God is going to do this for the entire body of Jesus Christ. In an event that he calls the rapture of the church, or it is called the catching away of the saints. And indeed, it is our blessed hope as we started off by talking about the Lord dying on the cross to deliver us from this present age. we got to remember that. Listen, it's not that we're to live with a death wish. It's not that we're not to walk with the joy of the Lord while we're here. It's not that we're not to be thankful and good stewards of what God has put into our hands. We should be the most joyful people on the face of the earth. Can we say amen to that tonight? And absolutely, God's called us to occupy until he comes, to be salt and light, to stand for truth, to be involved where we need to be involved, to make a difference, to slow down the rot of wickedness in this world 100%. But we also got to remember the day is coming when the Lord's coming for his church And it's not just going to be a vision like happened here to Daniel. God's literally going to catch us away and move us from one place to another, from this kingdom on earth that's fallen to his heavenly kingdom that will never fall and it will endure forever. And just so you know, I'm not making this up because some people might say, man, that sounds quite a story, Steve. Are you making that up? 1 Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up or raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, notice here, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Listen, these are comforting words. And on days like today and the things we see going on in our nation's capital and all this confusion and bickering and so forth, listen, All the more these words are comforting on a day like this. I hope you're comforted by that tonight. Because the Lord is coming for His people. And until He comes, listen, He's going to see you through. He absolutely is. He's seen you through this far, right? Here we are. He's going to continue to do that until that day that He might send the taxi for you. Or what a blessed day would that be if we're on earth when He comes back and we can all jump on the bus together and go to be with the Lord. So... We have a great future and hope, and I think that was worthy of you know at touching on in light of the chapter and everything else. So, um, notice verse three. <clears throat> then I lifted my eyes and saw there, standing beside the river, was a ram which had two horns, and the two horns uh, and and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. Now I'm going to jump ahead for a second because later on when daniel gets the interpretation we clearly see who this ram was and to these these two horns were in daniel eight twenty, it says the ram which you saw having two horns are the kings of the Medi- the of media and the persians and remember they overthrew belshazzar they overthrew the babylonian empire it happened in one night remember belshazzar was having a party and There was handwriting on the wall. A hand just appeared. He got so, you know, taken back by it. His knees knocked, it says, and he lost control of his loins. And we won't get into the details of that. And in that night, they were overthrown by the Medo-Persian Empire. And it's interesting, those two horns represent the Medes and the Persians, but it says that one horn was higher than the other. And we know eventually the Persians... Will come into much more power than the mead the, the the Medianites. And it happened just as Scripture said that it would happen. So again, this is the silver arms and breastplate that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of that eventually overthrew the head of gold. And this is the bear that Daniel dreamed of overthrowing the lion. Extreme accuracy. I mean, people look at this and they just marvel. Because these things happen, and it's interesting, this pattern's repeated over and over throughout the book in different dreams. Later on, we'll get into Daniel 11, Lord willing, and it goes into even more detail of these things. So listen, as these things were extremely accurately prophesied, and we can look back and see how they have ex- extremely come, up, come about, it should stir us concerning prophecy that's still yet to come. That God's word is 100% accurate. Now let's read verse 4 down to verse 8. It says, I saw the ram pushing westward, northward, southward, so that no animal could withstand him, nor was there any any who that could deliver from his hand, and he did according to his will and became great. This is talking about the Medo-Persian Empire. Again, they were compared like a bear. They would come in, they would smother their opponents with these massive armies. Verse 5, And I was considering, suddenly, a male goat came from the west across the surface of the whole earth without touching the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. So he has this vision, it's the ram, the Medo-Persians, and then here comes this male goat with a notable horn, we'll talk about who that is in a second here. Verse 6, and he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing by the river, and the ram... And, and ran at him with furious power. And I saw him confronting the ram, and he was moved with rage against him, attacked the ram, and broke his two horns. There was no power in the ram to withstand him, but he cast him down to the ground and trampled him, and there was no one that could deliver the ram from his hand. Therefore, the male goat grew very great, but when he became strong, the large horn was broken, and and in place of it, four notable ones came up towards the four winds of heaven. Now again, we skip ahead in Daniel, and we get the interpretation of who this was, and we look back in history, and we see exactly how this came about as the Bible said it would. Notice Daniel eight twenty one and 22, the male goat is the kingdom of Greece. The large horn that is between its eyes is the first king, and the broken horn uh, and the four that stood in its place, four kingdoms shall arise out of that nation, but not with its power. And so again, the notable horn or, or, or the, the goat here is Greece. Or in the other vision, it's the leopard that would overthrow the bear. And absolutely, this is the Grecian empire led by who? A great horn named who? Alexander the Great. And it's funny, we have that phrase today, oh, that's a goat greatest of all time and it's interesting here's a goat and it's alexander the great maybe that just amuses me i just find that find that something and one thing we know about his armies is indeed they absolutely moved like this goat they moved like a leopard they were small but they were fast they were fierce and they were incredibly wise and i told you guys i've never seen the movie i've seen clips of it i'm not recommending the movie listen you got freedom in christ but there's a movie called The 300, and it's about a small army taking out all these other armies. Supposedly, it's about Alexander the Great. Again, this isn't something small that happened in history. This is huge that to this day, people recognize the greatness of Alexander the Great, how as a very young man, he was able to muster this army that overthrew the superpower of the world. In fact, trampled them, just as the Scripture says, he would. Now, listen, he was a mighty commander and again a king who conquered the whole world in a very short time. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Though he was pagan, he would later on say that God led him to do the things that he did. Now, he wasn't a believer. We know that the Jews there in Jerusalem showed him these passages. And that's when he said, yeah, God told me to do the things that I did, at least in the conquering, other things that was his choice in the matter. So God led him to do what he told him to do, which included fulfilling this prophecy of overthrowing the Medo-Persian empire, as well as, and again, God led him to victory, and then there's sinful things that he did that God allowed to happen to give man over to his depraved mind, but also to allow things to unfold, to really set the world up for the coming of Jesus Christ. He would introduce something called uh, Hellenism to the world, which was the worship of the body and sexual sin. Sound a little familiar to today? He would set up what he would call gymnasiums, which wasn't somewhere where you would go and necessarily work out, But they were bathhouses where people would engage in orgies and perverted activity. And in fact, in his coming, he would stumble much of Israel and many of the Jews. They would take this on. It came so far into Jerusalem that the high priest took on a Greek name, Jason, because he embraced Hellenism and a gymnasium was built just down the road from jerusalem but listen praise god there was a remnant of jews that said we're not going to have anything to do with this we'll see in a minute here as we read more detail they were maliciously and and in a savage way persecuted um, by antiochus epiphanes who would come after alexander but he helped set all of this up. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But again, in the embracing of, of the the hedonism or the Hellenism, we know that a group raised up by a guy named Judas Maccabees, who you know what, pushed back against this, and really what it did, and we'll get to more some details about this here in a second. and this is kind of multi-layered, and hopefully I'm bringing. Clarity, not confusion, and trying to unpack this. There's a lot to unpack here. This luggage has got a lot in it. But what it would do is it would bring bring a back to the Bible movement in Israel is what it would do. It would get these people back to the Scriptures. Uh, Many of them would lay down their life. In fact, you have your Bible in your hand tonight in part because of so many of the Maccabeans that laid down their life for the cause of Christ, the cause of the Word of God. Back in that day, and eventually they would overthrow Antiochus Epiphanes and they would set up a group that we're familiar with called Are You Ready for It? The Pharisees and other groups like that. That listen, when they started, it was the back to the Bible movement, these guys were all about the scriptures. And then when Jesus came his first time, most of them had gotten so caught up in a religious. Movement as something that was more about them than God. They missed His first coming, and I'll tell you, listen. There's been a great back to the Bible movement that's come out of this nation over the last several hundred years. But we're in a place now that looks a lot like before Jesus's first coming, where a lot of people they've gotten away from the Bible. They might have it on the shelf, but as far as opening it up, they don't read it many don't even believe it that even take on the title as christian and i'll tell you that's a sobering thought for us because many of them as a result of those actions missed the first coming of christ they didn't know the lord but praise god again we have opportunity to know him by his grace through faith and i don't want to miss that second coming i want to be part of that bus that gets out of here i'm fine with a taxi too but I, i like the idea of the bus listen alexander though And and again, we're packing a lot. We'll come back to some of these things we just talked about. He would also do something amazing and that he would take the Greek language and it would become really a universal language of that day. I mean, we know that our New Testament was written in what language? The Greek, right? And have you noticed as we've gone through the book of Acts on Sunday morning, as they're going to all these different places, have you read anywhere where it says they needed an interpreter. Everyone spoke Greek everywhere they went. And really what it did, it allowed the gospel of Jesus Christ to explode when the Lord came to the earth. So he had a greater purpose in Alexander coming and conquering everything. It set the table for the gospel to get out to all the world in an easy manner and an easy way, and for the New Testament to be written in Greek, so that most of the world could read it. The people that were literate could read Greek. So back to Alexander. Listen, again, he would rise up quickly and he would fade quickly. He would die, most believe, at the age of 32. And it's interesting at his, you know, in his latter years, in his early 30s. You know, history tells us that he fell into a depression. And the reason he was depressed is that there was nothing else to conquer. (laughs) He had conquered everything. And in fact, he was so busy conquering that he never had time to have children of his own. And eventually, again, he would pass at a young age. And because he had no children of his own, the kingdom would be divided up in four parts. Syria, Egypt, Asia Asia Minor, and Greece. And these regions are bigger than how we think of Greece and Asia Minor and so forth. And out of Syria would become a man named Antiochus Epiphanes. And he's a type of Antichrist. And so the next verses begin to talk about him as well as the end of the age Antichrist as Antiochus Epiphanes really is a type of Antichrist. And this is a dual prophecy that's minorly fulfilled with antiochus Epiphanes, but will be majorly fulfilled in the antichrist who's soon to come on the scene so notice verse 9 and out of one of them came a little horn which grew exceedingly great towards the south towards the east and towards the glorious land again this is antiochus Epiphanes who had come out of syria and he would move towards the glorious land does anyone know what the glorious land is only place in the bible called uh, the Holy Land, Israel, he would move towards Jerusalem to do what? To defile her. And we know the Antichrist will move towards Jerusalem to try to defile her as well. This is where some people get the thought or you don't think that perhaps the Antichrist will be Assyrian or he will be, uh, you know what, Greek. Sometimes people will throw that out. We don't know that for sure, though. He could. I have to think that it would have to be a Jew or at least half-Jew for the Jews to enter into a covenant and say, hey, yeah, uh, this is our Messiah. Kind of got to be a Jew to be the Jew's Messiah. Kind of, you know, I, I would think that would be part of that. So, he, he, you know, he might be half and half. I don't know. But that's just where sometimes you'll hear that thought. This is where that's coming from. Verse 10, it says, and it grew up to the host of heaven and it cast down the same host and some of the stars to the ground, and trampled them. And again, Antiochus Epiphanes, who was one of those horns, uh, he grew to great power, and then he greatly persecuted and slaughtered many Jewish men, women, and children. And we know the Antichrist will do the same thing. In the second part of the tribulation, he'll wage war against the saints and overcome them, and we talked last time about the fact that The context of those saints is Israel, the time of Jacob's trouble in the second half of the tribulation. We know in Antiochus Epiphanes, again, he was trying to convert the Jews to paganism. We'll talk more about that here in a second. But when they refused, those who refused, again, he heavily persecuted them as it's talked about here in verse 10. He trampled them. He did things like forbidding, he forbid Sabbath Sabbath worship. He forbid them from circumcising their children, which was part of their covenant. And if you worshipped on the Sabbath or you circumcised your child, you would get the death penalty. We'll see here in a second, he would go in and he would defile the temple. He would set up uh, Jupiter and an image of Jupiter in the temple to make it a pagan temple. He would sacrifice pigs on the altar. It would be abominable to the Jew. And if you didn't go and participate in that, he would kill you. He would persecute you. Again, this is where the Maccabeans rose up out. And this is all uh, in the Maccabees, which is in a book called the Apocrypha, which is not part of our Bible. But the Maccabees are historically correct that records all this. And just so you know as well, this is in the time frame between the end of the writing of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. We see about a 400-year gap, and people say, well, what happened in that time? This is what happened. Daniel talked ahead of time of what would happen during that time. Pretty amazing. And then the Maccabees gives detail of how it happened. But you really don't need that because we read ahead of time what would happen. Verse 11, it says, he even exalted himself as high as the prince of the host, and by him the daily sacrifice were taken away. Sacrifices were taken away. And the place of his sanctuary was cast down because of transgression. An army was given over to the horn to oppose the daily sacrifices. And he cast down truth to the ground. He did all this and prospered. So listen, Antiochus Epiphanes, he exalted himself against the prince of hosts. Anyone know who that is? How about Jesus Christ? In fact, his name was Antiochus, and he gave himself last name Epiphanes, which is a title of deity he had coins minted with his image on it with the word god in the greek we know the antichrist when he comes he's going to declare himself to be equal with god he's going to say he is god again this is a dual prophecy and then again he defiled the temple he took away the daily sacrifice. He removed the golden altar, the candlesticks, the vessels, and he set up a statue of the false god Jupiter in the holy of holies. Again, we know the antichrist is going to set up the image of the beast. These things parallel parallel each other. And then again the Jews, he commanded them to worship this idol. The only thing he allowed to be sacrificed in the temple were pigs. If you're familiar with the Levitical law, that's an unclean beast. And so this was a sacrifice that was abominable. And what he did is he brought a sacrifice that was abominable to the Jews. And when they resisted it, again, he persecuted them and it brought a desolation against them. We know, again, the Antichrist is going to make a covenant with Israel for seven years. In the middle of that time, we know he's going to go into the temple He's going to declare himself to be God, like Antiochus Epiphanes did. And he's going to bring a sacrifice that's an abomination to the Jews that are in covenant with him. And when they protest, he's going to bring desolation against them. Zechariah says he'll kill two-thirds of them. One-third will survive. And we'll read here tonight that he'll be overthrown, the Antichrist, not by human means, but instead by godly means. And it's wonderful when God is on your side. Again, that was the first abomination that brought desolation in Daniel 9. Lord willing, next week, we'll look at detail of what will happen at the end of the age, that abomination of desolation. And we know Jesus, again, way after this happened, referred back to Daniel and says, you'll see this again. We talked about that this summer. So it's a dual prophecy. Verse 13 says... Then I heard a holy one speaking, and another holy one said to that certain one who was speaking, how long will the vision be concerning the daily sacrifices and the transgression of desolation, the giving of both the sanctuary and the host to be trampled underfoot? And he said to me, for 2,300 days, then the sanctuary shall be cleansed. And again, when all this began to happen, there was an uprising of Jewish zealots led by Judas Maccabeus, and his followers, or those that would join him, would be called the Maccabeans. They were staunch for the word of God, for truth. They said, we're not going to bend knee to Antiochus, Epiphanes. We're not going to bend knee to Jupiter. And in fact, they took up arms, and against, listen, odds that, 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 that were massively against them, they defeated the Syrian army. He defeated them. And in fact, you know when the victory came? You know how long it was? From the day that Antiochus Epiphanes first defiled the temple to the day that they overthrew the Syrian army. Does anyone know how long it was? We just read. It was 2,300 days exactly as it was prophesied by Daniel. Listen, this is all historical here. Exactly as it was prophesied, it happened. And you know what they did on that day, that300 or uh, two, 2, uh, t- t- uh, day 2,300 I'm getting all confused. What they did, they went in and they dedicated the temple. And they started something called the Feast of Dedication. You might also know it as Hanukkah. And they went in to light the candles again in the holy of holies, yet they only had enough oil to light it for one day. Listen, we were in Leviticus a couple years back, maybe three or four years ago. I don't know. We went through this in great detail. They couldn't just put any oil in there. There was special oil that God told them how to make, and that was the oil that was supposed to be used there in the temple. They only had enough to last for one day, and it took seven to eight days for that new oil to be made because of the process it had to go through. And so they lit it for one day, but guess what happened? A miracle took place because that oil lasted for how long? Does anyone know? Eight days. And so the Jews today, when they celebrate Hanukkah, it's back to this in this historical time. Now, what, you know what's also glorious about this? Though you don't read about this feast, In the Old Testament, in fact, we don't even read about Hanukkah. We don't read about that happening in the Word of God. We know historically it happened, though. And we also know that Jesus Christ acknowledged it. That Jesus Christ in John 10, 22 went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Dedication. Or it was also called the Festival of Lights, which is awesome. It also says that it was in winter. And we know that Hanukkah parallels, you know, when many Christians celebrate Christmas. And you can read what transgressed in that time. Jesus was there at the Feast of Dedication. The Pharisees that started that back to the Bible movement, you know, that, were, that came out of all of that. Here's the Messiah now. Here's the real light of the world. Here's what that pointed to. And he was right before him. But guess what? They rejected him, except for a small number again let 's make sure our, our eyes are truly on Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Now notice verse fifteen down to nineteen it says then it happened when I Daniel, had seen the vision and was seeking the meeting, the meeting that suddenly they stood before me, one having the appearance of a man, and I heard the man 's voice between the banks of Eliah who called and said Gabriel make this man understand the vision and he came near where I stood and when he came I was afraid and fell on my face I'm afraid I'm going on my face but he said to me understand son of man that the vision refers to the time of the end now as he was speaking with me I was in a deep sleep with my face to the ground but he touched me and stood me upright and he said look I am making known to you what shall happen in the latter time of indignation, for at the appointed time the end shall be. And so again, we know this is a parallel, uh, it's a dual prophecy. We just read about what came about exactly as the scripture said it would happen, with the ram, the goat, with the distinguished horn, with the four horns that would come out, with one horn specifically, that would be a type of Antichrist. And we look back in history, we know exactly how it happened. But again, this also points to what will happen at the end of the age. Just like in Daniel 9, there was an abomination of desolation that happened. There will be an ultimate abomination of desolation that will happen. So we look at back at this, and we should marvel at how it was fulfilled. Daniel, at this point, he didn't know. He's just blown away by this dream, and so isn't it interesting The angel Gabriel comes to him. And as we just had Christmas, we read there in the scriptures about an angel, the same angel Gabriel, who came to Mary and told her that she'd be overshadowed with the Holy Spirit and would absolutely give birth to the Savior of the world, the prince that will defeat the Antichrist. And then that same angel came to Joseph. And that's really where we see Gabriel in the scripture, coming to Daniel and then Mary and Joseph. Again, in the latter times, with Antiochus, Epiphanes, really he was, a, a you know, it an antichrist, but he wasn't the antichrist. He's a type of antichrist. And we look at his life, it parallels the life of the antichrist to come. And there's many of these in history. Nimrod's the first one. You read about him there in uh, Genesis, who gathered the world together. Pharaoh really is a type of antichrist. Nebuchadnezzar was At first, and then praise God, he got saved. Haman, Nero, Herod, and even Hitler. Types of Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but types of Antichrist. Just like concerning Jesus. We know Moses, a deliverer, a type of Christ. In fact, Moses said, one like me will come up, and you need to listen to him. Joseph, a type of Christ, but not the Christ. Joshua, a type of Christ. David, a type of Christ but not the Christ. Do you see, again, the patterns in Scripture? And so it says here, this will happen in the time, in the latter time of indignation. Indignation, that time of indignation, it's time of the day of the Lord, which will include the seven-year tribulation. It will include the rapture of the church. It will include the millennial reign of Christ. Paul, part of the day of the Lord. Talking about specifically the indignation, God's judgment. His wrath poured out on the earth, the great tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble. Praise God. Again, we read about this indignation in Scripture. It means to froth at the mouth, to have fury. It's really especially talking about God's displeasure with sin, His anger, His rage. The fact He abhors sin. Look, you see these things going on in the world, and as a Christian, how can your heart not be vexed you look around and you see this great wickedness isn't there part of you that it stirs you up and you want to see i you want to say i want to see this made right even though we know we're just saved by the grace of god and who am i to cast the first stone but in christ jesus again there's a righteous anger that is there and God absolutely looked at the rebellion in the world, and though he wants to see men get saved, and though he laid down his life to save men, there is a time coming of God's indignation when he's going to wrap this all up, and that time's coming soon. But praise God for the Christian. First Thessalonians, I got 1 through 11 there in your notes, but notice verse 9, God did not appoint us to wrath, or you could say indignation, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not good news tonight? Now notice here verse 25. And this is speaking again about the Antichrist. There's parallels with Antiochus Epiphanes, but now more so we're looking directly at the Antichrist, the one that will come at the end, in the time of indignation. Verse 25, through his cunning he should cause deceit to prosper under his rule and he shall exalt himself in his heart he shall destroy many in their prosperity he shall even rise against the prince of princes but he shall be broken without human means so he will cause deceit to prosper think about jesus in matthew 24 when he was asked what would be the sign of the coming and the end of your age what does he mention more than anything He says, do not be deceived. There's already a spirit of Antichrist in the world. And as we get closer and closer to the coming of the Lord for his church, the great tribulation, the Antichrist coming on the scene, this world is becoming more and more deceived. In fact, deceit or deception, it's prospering in an incredible way. There's deception all around us. It's to the point where I look at things unfolding today in the news, and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, what's really going on there? What's really going on? Uh, are, 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 are these two groups really in cahoots on the higher level? Are they really working together? Is there really a legitimate, you know what, uh, leadership on the one side that's standing more for truth than the other? Are these people that went into the Capitol building really supporters of, you know, conservative values? Or are the Antifa people who've dressed up in a certain way because we see that all over the Internet as well? Like, what's going on? I don't think we'll ever know. Well, one day I'll know, but I don't know if I'll know in this day. And we look at these elections that happen and, you know, full of fraud and deceit. I mean, this is just, this is actual factual things reported, but nothing really done with it. And then again I step back and go, why isn't anything happening with it? Is because we're all deceived and they're working in cahoots. What's going on here? Steve, you can't think that way. Well, I can think that way if I want. I'm not saying, I'm just saying I'm speculating. Because I read second uh, Psalm chapter two and it talks about these people raging against God. And that doesn't mean that I can't pray for all of them because I've been called to pray for all of them. I call I prayed every day for a man for eight years named Barack Hussein. Obama, you like that Hussein part, right? I prayed for him for eight for eight years straight. Our current president, I prayed for him. I'll continue to pray for him. And it looks like the next one, I'm going to pray for him. Because I'm not going to fall in being scared of men. I don't have to fear that. I don't have to fear the guy in Sacramento. I'm called to fear God. And if we fear God, we don't need to fear men, even in a day where deception is prospering. And it's interesting. The Antichrist. He will prosper. Using deception. He'll make a covenant with Israel. Oh we're going to be at peace. But he knows what his play is. He knows eventually he'll turn on them. He's leering them in. To try to destroy them. And again deceptions all around us. Look at I. I, I turn on the news. I look at media. I don't know what's real and what's not real. And you'd be wise to test things by the word of god and just test things by facts that we actually know that are factual that's something that god calls being noble-minded do you know that we're going to talk about that this sunday testing things by the scripture being noble-minded like those in berea it also says about this man is that he will exalt himself antiochus epiphanes exalted himself the antichrist will exalt himself 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, and 4, it says that he will say he's equal with God. He'll say that he is God. Again, that's going to happen at the middle of the tribulation when he brings the abomination of desolation. Also interesting, he will destroy many in their prosperity. I think this speaks of people that oppose him. As we we, we read in the scripture about him making war against the saints, The Jews and defeating them. Tribulation saints, perhaps. But this is also talking about the people that will partner with them. He will eventually turn on them. Do you know the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy? He doesn't come to be your friend. There's a phrase called a few useful idiots. The communists, they'll take what they call a few useful idiots They'll make a promise to them. They'll use them to bring forth their agenda. And then you know who the first people they kill once they get their agenda going? The few useful idiots. I could go on more with that in our country, but I'm not going to do that right now. But he's going to destroy many in their prosperity. I referred earlier to the woman that rides the beast in Revelation chapter 17. There's going to be a false religion. It's already in the world today, ecumenicalism, that, you know, it's a, a, it's a gathering, and probably most likely through Rome, of all these different religions coming under one banner, and a big force in it is a lot of guys calling themselves evangelicals, wanting to go meet with the Pope in Rome and so forth. Listen, that's unbiblical. That's a different gospel. I'm not saying that there can't be Catholics that get saved, but generally you come out of that when your eyes are open and you get filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You get some discernment. You start saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This isn't scriptural. There's no co redeemer, there's only one named Jesus Christ. We also read about the destruction of the merchants that follow him. The people that take the mark of the beast, oh, we'll take that mark, we can buy, sell, and trade. They go through hell on earth for three and a half years. Then they go to hell forever. They don't prosper underneath them at all. And even the army he musters up at the end to fight against God, it's it's a joke. They are destroyed in their prosperity in the beast kingdom. And remember that. Remember that as you see this beast system being put into place. And it's being put into place right now. The groundwork's being laid right now. And you see a lot of these characters running around with a puff-up chest and doing all that they're doing. They're going to be destroyed in their prosperity. So much better to prosper in the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, it says, he shall even raise against the prince of princes. He's going to smack-talk Jesus while he's here on earth. And it says, as well as those in heaven with the Lord. The world's going to love that. The world loves it when you smack talk Jesus Christ. Have have you guys caught on to that? They love it. But notice here, but he shall be broken without human means. Why? God's going to break him. God's going to come back. We read about in Revelation 19, along with many other places, and it says his army is going to come with them, clothe them white and on white horses. And you know who that is? Let me ask you, is Jesus your Lord? That includes you tonight. Praise God, what a glorious day it will be. God's going to set order where there's disorder. He's going to bring righteousness where there's unrighteousness. And listen, I don't say that with a grudge towards the world, because outside of Jesus Christ, guess what? I'm following this guy myself. We want to rejoice in the righteousness of God and the judgment of God, but at the same time, we want to be about the business of sharing the gospel with people because the only thing that's delaying the G- Jesus is coming is that he's long-suffering, not wanting people to perish. 26. Now, the vision of the evenings and mornings which was told is true therefore seal up the vision it refers to many days in the future so gabriel told daniel everything you saw is true and indeed listen much of this has literally come to pass and the rest of it will literally come to pass it's interesting as well he says seal it up it refers to the future and praise god listen we're way down the timeline from when this was given. And I fully believe we're in that future day that was talked about back then. <laughs> we're at the end of the age. Listen, if, if, in, in my opinion, if Jesus doesn't come back soon, man's going to destroy himself. And in fact, Jesus said, if I don't come back, there'll be nothing to come back to, paraphrasing it. This is also sealed up for the last days, so what? So as we see these things happening, our knees won't knock like Belshazzar. We won't lose control of our loins like Belshazzar. But instead we'll step back and go, you know what? My God's in control. This is happening as my God said it would happen. And by the way, my God also said he'll never leave me and he'll never forsake me. And I'm privileged to live in the day that I am living in to represent my God and be an ambassador of Jesus Christ to a godless world. Finally, verse 27, and I, Daniel, fainted and was sick for days. <laughs> they gave him a COVID-19 test, and he got a false positive, but they said, you're sneezing, so we're going to say you have it anyway. No, I just added that part. <laughs> but he, he faded and was sick for days. Afterwards, I arose and went about the king's business I was astonished by the vision, but no one understood it. Listen, there's a great truth here. Listen, the physical can ho- only handle so much of the spiritual. Whenever men, you know what, come, come into the presence of God in Scripture, even great men of God, you see them face down. You see them, you know it with no strength. You, you see him at the point of death. But praise God, he always comes in and he lifts his people up. <laughs> and That's a glorious thing. couple last things here. It's interesting. He has the vision, and then what does he do? What's he do? He knows everything that's going to happen. He understands it. God's given him a picture of what's going to happen. You know what? Uh, the timeline, really, of mankind. And, and so what's he do? He gets up. And he goes about the king's business. There, there's that. You listen. That's not just thrown in there. Oh, it's a Daniel. Oh, he did this. That's a lesson for us, as we look at this tonight. As we see things going on in the world today, what should we be doing? We should be about whose business? The king's business. Like, what do I do now? Be about the king's business. Occupy till he comes. Like Jesus said in Matthew 24, 45, who, it, who then is a faithful and wise servant who his master may rule over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. In other words, about the king's business. Are you about the king's business in the midst of all this, or are you just about your own business? Let's be about his business. Amen. Let's be a people of prayer. Let's be a people of the word. Let's be a people walking in the joy of the Lord, willing to share the gospel with those around us and putting him first in all that he's put on our plate. And then lastly, again, he says that he was astonished by this. And listen, as I've been studying the book of Daniel, I've taught through the book of Daniel multiple times, but I'm more astonished right now than I've ever been before (laughs) concerning it. And I want to continue to be astonished by these things. I never, ever, ever want to come to a place where we talk about prophecy, the coming of the Lord, to go, oh, that's old hat. I read Left Behind. I'm not interested in that. Oh, I read the late great planet Earth. I'm not interested in that. That's where a lot of people are today. A lot of folks are in that place. Oh, we've been looking for Jesus coming since the 70s. We read in Peter that, Second Peter 3, 3 and 4, that's one of the marks of a soon return where people start to mock his return. And sadly, that's not just going on in the world. That's going on in much of what we call the church. Let that never be us, amen? Let's be about the king's business, looking for the coming king. That's what Jesus has commanded us to do. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We give you glory, Lord. We just thank you for who you are just for everything you're doing god everything you've done everything you're going to do we thank you lord that you know the end from the beginning and you've prophesied these things and they're unfolding just as you said they would we thank you as well god that you prophesied whoever calls upon the name of the lord be saved that's a prophetic word that whoever would believe in you whoever would Entrust their heart to you. They'll be saved. Saved out of this evil present age. Washed of sin. In a place where they can know that they know that they're in your hands. Born again and set free. I hope we're all in that place tonight. But listen, if you haven't called on the name of Jesus, today's the day of salvation. The Lord loves you. He died on the cross for you. To pay the penalty of your sin and mine. And tonight, listen, through humbling your heart and just being real with God, legitimately asking Jesus to be the Lord of your life, not for a five-minute fire insurance prayer, but it's saying, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I want you to reign over my life. That's what that means. I want to follow you. I want to trust in you i believe you died for me you rose from the grave i believe you're a lord be the lord of my life god save me and wash me and cleanse me he'll do that right now if you've not called on his name oh do so even as we're in prayer right now ask him right now to come into your life to be your lord and then listen if that's you i want to encourage you to tell somebody make it known We'd love to put a Bible in your hands if you don't have one. You're absolutely invited to continue on with us as we gather to worship and praise and seek God in these days we're living in. And listen, the Lord wants to hear your prayers and your worship and wants to have a relationship with you. So God, bless the rest of our evening. We thank you for this time. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. Amen.